pray God's blessing on them. Well, let's, uh, let's pray for God's word this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be before your word. It is a marvelous portion of your word. It is uh, exciting and full of all kinds of implications for us. But I pray that you'd uh, speak exactly the word you would have for us, that you would communicate with uh, real, uh, well, real clarity and authority this morning. Um, and thank you that we can discover you, that you are not silent, and that you speak, and you are sharing uh, your mercy and you're revealing your heart to us. And uh, we pray that this will be a, uh, a time where we are more and more convinced that you are faithful to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have uh, begun a series on the book of Acts. We are in chapter 2, and uh, an amazing phenomenon has taken place, and that is that there has been a gathering of believing Christian people who are Jews in Jerusalem, and they have gathered and waiting for the Holy Spirit to empower them for mission. And these were the last words of Jesus to this group. Uh, wait in Jerusalem, pray until you are empowered. So the context is this event takes place. They begin to speak in the languages of the surrounding areas. Uh, some of them are quite far away. But they begin to speak the languages of known uh, tongues. They are praising God, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and they're giving praise to God. They're having a worship experience. And this speaking in tongues is something others are observing, and they have, these others have gathered for a Jewish festival called Pentecost, um, and they are now looking at these folks, and they are saying, hmm, what's going on here? Are these folks drunk? What's happening here? So our text this morning is Peter's defense of what's going on, Peter's explanation of what's taking place uh, with this unusual phenomenon of this, these multiple languages being spoken. The people who are listening have traveled there from various parts of the world, and they are hearing their own languages being spoken, and they, this has drawn them in, and uh, they are going to hear Peter's explanation. Now, if you know anything about Peter in the New Testament, uh, the, the Gospels, Peter is always, we're always a little concerned when Peter opens his mouth, aren't we? Oh, never quite sure where this is going. Peter has a lot of creativity, and... Uh, he needs to be corrected uh, quite a lot in the, in the gospel accounts. He is sort of the spokesman for the disciples, or he assumes that role. And um, Peter has a great humbling take place. He is the one who denies his Lord, uh, and Jesus predicted this. And Peter is restored to ministry during the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And Peter is ready, empowered by the Spirit, to preach. And so he uses the Old Testament as the background for what's going on with Pentecost. 
Now, what's unique about this is that Jesus never appears in his resurrection form. He never appears to non-believers. Wouldn't that have been a convenient thing to do? Wouldn't that have been spectacular that he could demonstrate the ultimate uh, miracle, uh, could show himself to those who had, uh, had conspired against him? But there is no record of him doing that. And so what we have here is Jesus is still present in the earth, on, on the earth. He is very much present, but he is now going to speak through his authorized messengers. And that is how they will have access to his resurrection, his ascension, to the gospel. God has ordained the preaching of God's word as a means to reach sinners. And so this moment, which is happening right now, is something set apart in Scripture as divinely instituted for the purpose of demonstrating his power, his authority, his resurrection glory and ascension glory, Jesus Christ has ordained the preaching and proclamation of God's word. That's just more of a theological observation about what's going on here. I want you to imagine for a moment that we do not have God speaking. Imagine for a moment you have only sort of the ideas that you get from looking out at the world. Just imagine for a moment you have no real, authorized, clear message from God. Luther is the one, 500 years ago, who thought about this, and he thought that the unpreached God, or the the non-preached God, is terrifying. If you don't know the mind of God toward you as a sinner, if you don't know that he wants to be merciful to you, if you don't have any revelation from him, you are in trouble. Now, we might think of ourselves being comforted by sort of sentimental thoughts. We might be able to imagine a God and, uh, who we like, who, who works with us, who is just sort of uh, a nice God and all, all that sort of thing. But our conscience will not let us fabricate such a God. Even the imagination that leads to polytheism, multiple gods, still those gods have to enact some sort of punishment, some sort of wrath, some sort of justice on this earth. Even in our imaginations, we still have to figure out what we're going to do with our conscience. And Luther thought long and hard about this, and that if we don't have the word proclaimed, the word coming from on high, from heaven, we will be left in terror and in darkness. So, The first thought I want you to know here is that in preaching, we have the means of grace revealed to us. Now, you may have had your mother preach to you, 
when you were a little little child and maybe you you listened at that point you may have had a a, a preacher in the pulpit preach to you in that, that kind of in a formal way but God has set apart and ordained preaching as a central role of the church a central means of of grace by the way that's why some uh, ministers who are thinking about what group to join, where do I, you know, what, what, what denomination or group do I line up with? Some of them are highly influenced by the PCA's strong emphasis upon preaching and upon the training of preachers. And the Presbyterian Church, in particular, has put a high standard on the academic training of preaching because they esteem, obviously, the Word of God preached well and accurately. Now, we've got a big, well, I don't know how you think about Peter's sermon here, but there's a, there's a lot going on in this, in this passage. So, let me do this, is I know that I'm only going to get through the first quotation from Joel, chapter 2. Um, I will cover the rest of it, but just so you know, well, what about the other parts of this thing? Well, I'm just not going to be able to do it. I'll tell you that up front. Okay. So what does Peter do? He says, well, what's going on here is the last days have arrived. The last days have arrived. Look at verse 17 of chapter 2. And in the last days, he's quoting Joel, he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, he's quoting Joel, and the book of Joel uh, predicts um, droughts, um, uh, destruction by locusts, um, essentially God's judgment uh, upon little Judah. And this is Old Testament history. Little Judah was rebelling against God. Little Judah was two tribes roughly in and around the area of Jerusalem. Joel comes along with a devastating prophetic statement about God's coming with judgment. But in the latter chapters of Joel, there is good news. God is going to relent and he's going to pour out rain and their crops are going to grow. The fields are going to turn green again. And then toward the last part of Joel, he actually mentions God is going to pour out in a day coming called the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. All right. Now, how many of you have heard of the term the last days? Would you raise your hand? Just the last days. Okay, good. All right, good. All right. So um, the old King Jimmy calls it the latter days. Right? Okay. All right. Now, when you hear the term last days, doesn't it come to mind that but something terrible would happen? Something bad? Like, oh, well, this is the last days. You know what's going on over there in the Middle East, right? This is the last, right? How many have sort of heard that, right? And uh, you want to buy the CDs and get the tapes and buy the books and that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting is that in the Bible, the last days here seems to be like a good deal. Seems like a good thing. In fact, it's a blessing that the last days have arrived because it's the day that Joel promised, the day of flourishing, the day of the return of the Spirit of God to reside permanently inside people who believe. 
And so, of course, the Bible does present to us that the last days are days of terror and, and dread. And that is also quoted in the latter part of the Joel quotation. But Peter's major emphasis is upon the idea that the last days are days of blessing. And surprise, surprise, judgment day has not fallen yet. Now, John the Baptist was sure that with the arrival of the Messiah, he was going around telling people, well, the axe is already at the root of the trees. This means that judgment day is coming. You wait till you watch my cousin. He's going to, you watch when judgment day is right around the corner. In fact, at one point, because he couldn't, John couldn't fathom the idea that judgment day hadn't arrived, the day of the Lord, he actually sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Like, get, on, get with it here. And Jesus quotes Isaiah back to him and says, well, just tell John that the, the deaf are hearing and the blind are seeing and the lame are leaping for joy. Just give them that. Jesus has come and what's surprising is that the last days have come as days of blessing. And that they are, they are days of mercy. They are days when Christ, who is on the throne, is now seeking to turn his enemies' hearts in a different direction and to change them and to begin to rule over them and to make them as a footstool to his feet, Psalm 110, which Peter quotes. The king is on his throne, and that is to strike fear in us, but it's also to strike a cry of our heart, O oh, Jesus, hold back that day, let me call upon your name that I might be saved. So the last days are a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness, and this is rooted in 2 Samuel seven twelve, where David wants to build a temple for God, and God says, no, hold off on that idea, but I want to build something for you, David. This is 2 Samuel seven twelve through 13. This is called the Davidic covenant, the covenant with David. This is a big deal. And God turns to David, and he says, David, I'm going to give you what every king wants. They want a dynastic succession. They want their sons to rule and keep ruling and keep ruling. If you go see the ancient world, you'll see that... It's always the son and grandson and great-grandson. They all keep, the name keeps going on and on, right? Well, that's what God gives David. And he says to him, one of your own will always reign on your, over your house, David. One of your own will be king over the land, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, this is the promise that held the people together, especially after the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., and they all got devastated, and they, they, some of them, they took off to different parts of the world, and, and a small group of them went off to Babylon. And when they came back to this devastated area called uh, Jerusalem, they were holding on to the Davidic covenant. If they would just get one of David's sons on the throne, do you know what would happen? The days of glory would return. The days of, the, the days of, of great blessing would land upon God's people. And so this is what they told their grandchildren as they're walking in the dust, back, going back to Jerusalem. They're, they're singing songs of the return of the great David who will come and restore the fortunes of Zion. So this is what you, this is, people would die with this hope that there would be one of David's sons finally over God's people. 
This is why Mary and others are quoting ideas that relate to David and his sons. It's a big deal. It is the hope of Israel that one of David's sons will be reigning, and he will reign forever and ever, and he'll push back the enemies of Israel. Are you, all right, everybody tracking? Raise your hand if you're tracking. All right, good deal. You've got to get the last days right. Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 begin to speak about the last days. They were contemporaries. They, 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 they ministered in the same time period. And they're talking about the last days in their time period. And for them, the last days are a time when Zion, the people of God, will be exalted. And the nations are going to come and ask them, you tell us about your God. Your God is so great. And the nations are now streaming to Zion in order to learn about their God. Those are the last, that's called the last days, the days of blessing, the days when one of David's sons is reigning. So Peter gets up and he, he preaches this message about the last days. The king that we were all waiting for was Jesus. He's the, David, he's the son of David, the greater David, the greater son that we were all waiting for. And look what he did. He has brought these days, the days when the Spirit rains down. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the fulfillment of what Joel talked about. So, verse 17, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, what? That I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The all flesh, if you make marks in your Bible, put, draw a line underneath the all flesh. That's a huge moment. It's a giant moment. The reason why this is a big deal is, and he, by the way, if we don't understand what he means by all flesh, then, he, then Joel goes on to say, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay, so if we didn't understand what all flesh meant, it's like, that's what it means. It means servants, it means rich, it means poor, it means male, it means female. Now, this is quite remarkable, because we're talking about what prophets did in the Old Testament. Prophets were the ones who prophesied. And we often think of a, of, a prophecy as sort of fortune-telling kind of thing, you know, they're like predicting the future. But most of the time, a prophet would just tell you what God's will is. Yes, they did make predictions, but those don't, predictions about the future don't consume all that the prophets said. Most of the time, the prophets were just holding the people accountable to the covenant that they had with Moses. And so the prophet was a specially empowered, spirit-empowered individual who could prophesy, who could tell the will of God to people, who could explain it to people, who could reveal it to people. Now what's going on here in this passage? Peter is preaching, and he's saying a day has come when the Spirit is being given to the rich, to the poor, to the servants, to the women, to the men, to everyone who believes there is a democratization of the Spirit. This is the day when we are all equal in our access to the revelation of God. We are no longer dependent on some special prophet 
and dependent on that person to reveal God's will. We are all able to access God's will and to know it. This is what it means to enter into the days when Jesus is king. And this is what you are. You, have, you function like a prophet because you have the word of God. And you have the spirit of God. And this was what was really limited in the Old Testament. Now, the Spirit of God was working upon everyone who genuinely believed in the Old Testament. But what you largely had was Spirit-empowered special individuals in the Old Testament. Moses, Joshua, the 70 elders that Moses had when he, when he was working with the children of Israel. There's specific instances when they were given the Spirit of God. But Moses, at one point, cries out, it's like Numbers 11 or 12, he he cries out, oh, that all of Israel would be able to prophesy. That's a prayer of Moses. Well, guess what? Through Jesus, you have been given the Spirit of God. You have have the, the special access to God's will and God's mind and God's understanding of things. Now, I know that we're all sort of used to having a Bible, right? You have Bibles all over your house, that kind of thing, right? One time when I was in college, there was somebody who was giving out Bibles. They found some place in the world where they spoke English and didn't have any Bibles. And so we all, the, the guy stood up in front in chapel and said, how many of you have more than one Bible? We all raised our hand. How many of you have more than five Bibles? We all raised our hand, you know. All right, how many do you think you need? You need one. So choose your favorite Bible, then bring all the rest to the, to, to the gymnasium. So I thought that was a little strange, but anyway, so I brought some Bibles. Do you know the gymnasium floor was like two feet high? The whole basketball court was two feet high of Bibles. We're used to the Bible, aren't we? We're used to having it. Sometimes we read it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we care about it, sometimes we don't. Well, and you know what, I say this a lot to you. Your eyes and your ears, you, you are blessed you have, the, you have the revelation of God. And that's what Peter emphasizes. That upon everyone, everyone has, well, it's like a prophethood. You know how Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers? Well, this is the prophethood of all believers. Now, what this means for us, practically speaking, is we can speak into each other's lives. You know the will of God. If you study this, you, will, you don't need any... There's, there's no need for some private revelation to you to know the will of God. The Spirit of God has worked to bring about the will of God for us. It's, it's here. It's, it's in English. It's on page, in my Bible, it's 9-11 here, or 9-12. Or 9, it's, it's here. You have the Word of God. And what Peter is saying is, children can speak to each other like, like prophets used to speak in the Old Testament. Spirit-led speaking the will of God. This is cool stuff. You are spirit-empowered, prophet-like people who know the will of God. There was an ancient prayer, and this, this has a huge implications. Um, there was an ancient prayer of old Jewish men used to pray this. It's, it's really sad. It, said, it would go like this. Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Well, nothing could be further than the truth from that idea than 
Acts chapter 2, when Peter puts it to, to these people and saying there is a new democratization of the Spirit, a new dignity for all people. This is a very important idea that the blessing of the pouring out of the Spirit is that we have all been brought to, to this. The prayer of Moses was answered. Oh, that all of Israel might prophesy. You are the newly constituted Israel. Verse 18, the key is they shall prophesy. The idea is this. They will foretell the will of God. That's what it is. Foretell what God has revealed. The whole church is involved. And when you, you pick this up in the epistles, speaking the word of God to each other, uh, let the word of God dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Let the, in other words, we are to be speaking the will of God. It's accessible to us. Very interesting. The U.S. Constitution starts off, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created what? Equal. Well, I don't know in history if it's self-evident. Some of the kings might have a problem with that. We're all equal. I wonder where they got that idea from. I wonder where they got that idea from. This is a sociological overhaul. This means that God has given the dignity that a prophet might have to all of us. In fact, there's even the imagery of the idea when in Colossians 3 where Paul talks about put on Christ like you're putting on clothing. Well, you know, prophets, not all of them, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's some references to them putting on special clothing when they actually you know, did their work. Well, we put on, we, we put on Christ who, who gives us this wisdom and this ability to lift up each other and reveal the will of God for one another as God has revealed it in his scripture. The king is speaking from heaven. The whole church is to speak his will. The new Israel is empowered. All kinds of people are included. This is really talking about the general office of, of, of the spirit among God's people. Clearly, you have designated, called individuals who are preachers or designated as ministers of the word. But it's very important for us to grasp this and to begin to live this out. Not only that we... Uh, would just individually learn Scripture, but we'd actually be able to counsel and speak Scripture into each other's lives. Begin to exercise that. Begin to try it out. Begin to, even something simple, uh, encourage your elders, encourage your pastor. Hey, I was reading this psalm the other day. I thought I prayed for you. And this was, begin to use Scripture in our conversations. And then the conclusion here in verse 21 I'm just skipping right down to it, is that after he has preached this remarkable message about the Spirit falling upon all kinds of people, and then he warns them about the, the day of judgment, where he talks about, this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to, to blood. By the way, many of them may have seen this uh, when Christ was crucified, that that day did, the sun become, became dark. But he's beginning to give them this foreboding sense that judgment day is coming before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. But here is the promise. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course, he goes on 
and he explains the, 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 the role that Jesus plays. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in, the, in your midst. As you yourselves know, he's appealing to their conscience. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You didn't outsmart God. He outsmarted you. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. Put them together. Uh, difficult to do, but they're both right there. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, uh, and I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you, have, and you, make, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13, that's the big promise, he foresaw, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was, not, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And again, David, once again, David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your enemies, your footstool. Let the, all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So another word for the anointed one. This Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus Christ has a new exalted title, the God-man eternally interceding for his people, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he is withholding the day of judgment. But there will be a cataclysmic end of the world coming when a day that no one knows. And Peter puts it to them. You crucified him. God outwitted you. God outsmarted you. You cannot out, you cannot out, out clever God. He accomplished his will and you are responsible for what you did. But there is mercy with him. And this, this verse that applies to the idea that, uh, that he will make his enemies a footstool, this is good news. It sounds cruel, like what the ancient kings did with, you know, they take the Ottoman, you know, and they make a footstool, you know, we call them Ottomans now, right? That's a footstool, right? Well, that's what you and I are. How about that? Aren't you encouraged this morning? The pastor called me a footstool. Well, that's what we are. And I imagine if you're with an ancient king and he hasn't killed you, and at least you're holding up his feet, you're still doing okay. You're all looking at me like, I don't know, I'm, I'm offended. The idea here is this, that he's the king. And we don't understand his kingship and his, 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 his kingship over us. And he's coming and he first meets us as his enemies. God does not convert his friends. None of us want him. None of us want his rule in our life. So what he does is he knocks us off, the, off our, our, 
our, our pride from out from underneath us, and he changes our hearts. He comes after his enemies. The whole book of Acts is God coming after those who oppose him with his mercy. This is how he rules. He is ruling and converting, not by slaying them like, like a Caesar would do with a sword. He comes to his enemies and he preaches to them and they are converted and they, are, they bow the knee of their life to Jesus. Are you, are you grasping the remarkable privilege you have of responding to this king? What would happen if he never preached to you? What would happen if he let you go? He let you sit under some, under some tree somewhere and, and invent some religion. What would happen if he never ever spoke to you of his mercy? Luther says you would be left in terror because you do not know what was going to happen to you or there would be no hope for you, no place to, to rest your soul. And my, my final point is this. Do you feel like a nobody? There's a lot in our culture, a lot in our day, where you just feel like a nobody, or you haven't succeeded enough, or you haven't achieved enough, or you haven't been enough. And it goes on and on and on. And you can succeed and you can have a lot of things as we have seen in the death of a pop star this, this, this last week. There's something tragically wrong with our, the alienation we have with ourself. We, are, we don't even know ourselves and what we need. And God in his mercy gives us the gift of the Spirit and gives us access to his mind gives us access to his thoughts. God's spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus, his spirit is in you. Translating, communicating, making clear God's love for you, his care for you. The spirit is working in you now. In all your confusions, in all the sense that you have of feeling like a nobody, feeling like you're not enough, all this sense. And this text here, the primarily of the Joel 2, is that God's Spirit has been given to his end times people as a gift to do what the original Pentecost did. It was a witness to the world. The Spirit in you is to function as a beautiful demonstration of the beauty and glory of God. As I saw last night, the creek in our backyard bubbling alive with, with, with light in, at midnight. It was alive in the darkness, this white light coming out of the water. That's us. The Spirit is among us, people. This is good news. This is good news. He has set his seal upon you. You are his. Let's pray. Father, we are the new Israel empowered by the Spirit. Father, you have come and you have answered the prayer of Moses. Oh, that all Israel might prophesy. Father, thank you for giving us this privilege of being part of this slice of history. Speak to us now, Lord, in a way that you, can, you and you only can do through the Lord's Supper. Feed us now, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, turn to your worship folder to 